Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have Dr. Leah Goodman, who uses she, they pronouns. Leah is a queer identified therapist and educator based in Chicago, Illinois, and is a therapist and education manager at The Expansive Group, which is a collective of queer and trans affirming therapists led by Casey Tanner, who some of you might know on Instagram as at Queer Sex Therapy. Leah runs a support group for folks who are essentially going through their own second adolescence. And this is why I initially wanted to chat with Leah to talk about support groups and group therapy as a tool and space that many of us might actually never consider for ourselves, but it could totally be beneficial for us. In this chat, Leah lets us into really what goes on in a support group, why it's particularly a fun and powerful space for queer people, and also the different obstacles and fears that might block people from thinking that is something for them. But beyond just talking about support groups and group therapy, so much more comes out in this conversation. I just feel so touched that I got to spend time with Leah. They are just such a tender person, and I just am so excited to invite you all into the conversation. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I really want to invite you as listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear some guests share things that really differ from your experience, whereas other guests might share things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. All right, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I am so eager to have this conversation with you and just so pumped you're here. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. For folks who might not be familiar with you or your work, I'm wondering if you could just give a little mini introduction to who you are just to ground the conversation before we dive in. Of course, yeah. I'm Leah or Dr. Leah Goodman when I'm trying to sound professional. I live in Chicago now. I'm a Chicago-based therapist and educator at a practice called The Expansive Group. A little more context, I'm white, I'm cisgender, I'm queer, and I use the pronouns she and they. Awesome. And yeah, I want to dive into your work with the expansive group and specifically around the support groups that you run there. So that'll be a big focus of today. But before going into the work, curious about your own journey, anything you want to share about what led you into this work and kind of found you now working, doing the work you're doing right now? Definitely. So it's been a professional journey. I'm an occupational therapist by training initially. Cool. And in my doctoral work, I was creating mental health curriculum for college students. So really exploring what it could look like to offer non-traditional support to college students by giving them course credit to learn skills to support themselves. And it went really well. It turned into a job. So for several years, I was working as a professor teaching this well-being curriculum that 
really grew and was serving a lot of students every semester. And then also started teaching human sexuality courses Mm. as well. And I always told my students that I created the class because it's something that I really would have needed when I was a student. And I think really living that idea that you best teach what you most need to learn. And I think that's where my passion for groups really started by building these supportive spaces for college students. And during that time, I also then went back to school to become a social worker. Mm. I apparently couldn't get enough of grad school. So (laughs) it's been a journey for sure. And now I work mostly as a psychotherapist and the education manager at the Expansive Group. Cool, cool. And I would say my own identity journey too has played a big role. I first started experiencing depression when I was a teenager and I think was then thinking about mental health quite early. And interestingly, in college, I chose to go the OT route instead of therapy initially. I think worried that someone who had depression maybe wouldn't be a good therapist Mm. and also started exploring my own queerness in my mid-20s. And my family was wonderful. My friends were wonderful. But I think I would have really benefited from a support group for people who are coming into their queerness as adults. And that's definitely led me to this work in group therapy too. Oh, awesome. Ooh, now I'm finding myself wanting to spend like another hour just going into your own personal journey. But <laughs> but for today, I'm gonna we're gonna stay kind of in kind of the topic and the professional realm. But thank you for sharing a little bit of your own journey into this work. It's always interesting and exciting, both like as a fellow clinician to hear how other people got into it, but then also as a human, it's always interesting to see kind of what leads us to finding kind of the work we want to do in the world. And so I appreciate you sharing all of that. And then, yeah, you mentioned the expansive group. Would you just share for folks a little bit about what the expansive group is and kind of what kind of things y'all offer? Definitely. The expansive group is a group practice that initially started in Chicago, started as a therapy group practice, but it grew out of Casey Tanner, who started our practice, who was a therapist in Chicago, now lives in New York, but started an Instagram called Queer Sex Therapy, initially just with the intention of having a broader public conversation about sex therapy, about queer folks, about all things that typically don't get discussed in such a public setting. And I think it really took on a life that they weren't expecting. And people, instead of just wanting education, really started asking, how can I also get therapy from you? Mm. And so it then grew from more of an educational Instagram into then a group practice. So we have individual therapists, people who see folks in relationships, group therapy, and then there is still free education that exists through the Instagram. And then in my role as the education manager, we also look at broader education. So training new therapists, training existing therapists, if practices want training on queer and trans specific issues, exploring sexuality, exploring gender. So we don't only serve queer and trans clients, but it is a really big focus of our practice. Wow. Awesome. Well, what an incredible group to be a part of. Cool. And I'll link to all of that in the show notes so everyone can have access to follow up and continue learning. It sounds like you're offering a lot of great information for people, even those who are are not working directly with y'all. Awesome. Okay. So then shifting into the topic today, I want to pick your brain and talk about the model of a support group or group therapy as a place of support for queer people in their own journey of healing. I feel like within like the greater topic of therapy, on one hand, we're seeing a ton more collective conversation around therapy and, and mental health and having people perhaps feel more energy to seek out therapy for themselves. But it does also seem like it comes with like this tinge of expectations around that being an individual therapy context and not so much like group or support group oriented context. And I think a lot of people 
at least a lot of people that I've been exposed to in conversation don't even think about group therapy or support groups as a tool for them. Do you see this too, or do you have a different perspective? And if so, why do you think perhaps people are not thinking about support groups or group therapy as a place for them? I totally see that and experienced it myself about, I want to say seven years ago or so, I was seeing a therapist who suggested that I went to group therapy and I immediately shut it down. I didn't even entertain the idea at all. And I think about that a lot now because I am so invested in group therapy now about my own stigma about group therapy and really curious about where that judgment might have come from. And so I'll start with, for my own experience, I think it was the inaccurate examples that I had. There's kind of this societally constructed image or media portrayal of group therapy as like awkward, ineffective. Maybe it's a group of sullen teens or grieving spouses or folks in recovery from substance use. And we get this really specific idea of what we think it looks like and who it's for. And for myself, there also maybe was a little bit of ego in that too. Like I fancied myself like a self-aware, reflective person and maybe maybe wasn't convinced that I would benefit from a group of peers as much as I would benefit from an expert clinician. And Mm. so when you ask too about what other people may be experiencing, I think it's quite common, our our cultural values of expertness, this idea that we're going to gain more, learn more, heal more from a professional clinician than we would from non-expert people like ourselves who are going through the same things that we are. Mm. So there's almost this assumed lack of credibility that groups aren't real care or real therapy maybe. And Mm. I also wonder about shame, that it can be already a hurdle for people to reach out and talk to an individual therapist. And so the thought of having to share with other strangers, not just one, might be daunting or overwhelming. And some people also have had really challenging or harmful experiences in social or group settings. And so then the idea of group therapy might be scary or unappealing or bring up kind of wounds that they've had from previous experiences. Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate you naming all that. I feel like you're verbalizing kind of my thoughts that I hadn't fully articulated about the why behind all of this. Oh, I so appreciate that. As you're talking, I want to invite the listener just to even notice like what comes up for them when they think about being in a support group or group therapy setting and notice, yeah, if you yourself have any of this resistance or any biases might come up and just like be curious about that and investigate which of that might be something to listen to, to, you know, honor yourself and protect yourself, but also where might there be some wiggle room and where might that be stopping you from considering if this is a support that could be helpful for you? I can can also just tell you're such a good therapist with that response. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very kind. But yeah, I mean, because I feel like so much happens when we're like in a podcast as we're listening to it, listening to a conversation invites us to like introspect and be curious. And particularly when we're talking about topics that maybe can bring bring up different people's experiences. I I think it's cool as a listener to, again, like actively engage in the conversation, just a little sidebar. So thanks for reflecting Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, okay. So I want to pick your brain on like all things support groups and group therapy, but wondering if like before that, it might be helpful just to name for listeners, what's the difference between a support group and group therapy? I feel like they can sometimes be talked about synonymously. And I think there is a lot of overlap. And I'm saying this as someone, I'm not currently running groups. I'm not currently leading a support group, but have in the past. Um, So I'll welcome your thoughts as well. But I feel like though the similarities are in that, you know, they're both spaces of social support and 
being a place to really hear other people's experiences, definitely feel less alone in your own experience. But I'm wondering, it seems like a major difference is that group therapy is a little bit more of like a structured mental health treatment option designed to help people experience change in some way or reduction in a specific type of suffering, perhaps, whereas a support group is maybe designed just to be a space primarily to help people cope and find social support. Does that ring true for you or any thoughts that you have around kind of similarities and differences between the two, just to help folks understand what we're talking about? Definitely. I think the way you described it feels true for me as well. And it also depends a lot on who the clinician is who's facilitating. And there are support groups that exist that aren't run by therapists. They're run by peers, right? So it might be a peer-led support group. And so I do think that there can be a difference between a peer-led support group and a support group that's led by a clinician, even the kind of questions that are asked, the way that it's facilitated, that might be different. So, you know, if folks are looking for support groups, seeing who the facilitator is, that may make a difference in the way that it feels to be a part of that group too. Mm, Cool. And then, so, okay, so let's like go into a support group. Like, what is a support group? What does it look like? Like, how does it work for people who are like curious about this, but are kind of like, what do I expect? What happens in a support group? Wonder if you could share a bit. I'm sure there's lots to say, but yeah, what comes up first? Yeah, they are so delightful, Adam. I can only speak to the ones that I've been a part of. So cool. I'll describe that they, the way they look for the ones that I facilitate. They tend to be virtual. I'm hoping I can do some in person soon, but I lead closed support groups. So when you're talking about any kind of group therapy, whether it's a process group, a support group, a skills group, therapists often talk about the difference between a group being closed or a group being open. So a closed group would mean you register for a group and it's the same people who are going to meet for a certain amount of time. So for example, the support group that I lead is typically eight to 10 people and it's for eight weeks. So you don't have new people coming in and out of the space, but in an open group, it might be a more flow in, flow out when you have the ability or accessibility to attend that particular session. So again, the support groups that I lead are closed groups. They typically look like a group of people meeting on Zoom, chatting and supporting each other, guided by a facilitator, in this case myself, who might ask reflective questions, encourage dialogue, may put out a discussion question for that week to help start or guide the conversation. And really my role I see in it is to make sure that the space remains a safe, inclusive, supportive place. And there are certainly times where I participate in the discussion, particularly because the support group that I lead is a lived experience that I have myself. It's for people who are coming into their queerness as adults. And so there are moments where I might share my own experience as well. But for the most part, my role as a therapist in this space is really facilitating connection and support among the other people in group. Mm, Awesome. And this might be helpful too, I think for listeners, is to share a little bit of feedback from folks who have been in the groups as like what their experience was. So one person from a previous group said, I felt this connection here that I haven't felt thus far in my journey. And it was so affirming for me. And someone else said, hearing somebody's stories and knowing that I wasn't alone in what I was going through meant the world to me. Another piece of feedback was, it was so nice to be in a space filled with people going through a similar experience to mine, to be able to candidly talk about our feelings and thoughts and to support one another. And I'll just share one last one. Someone who said, I struggle with imposter syndrome and this was a space that I could be authentic and true. And I felt affirmed and valued. I really like that there were purposefully people I could relate to and see myself in. 
It's hard to put into words what this group did for my soul, my confidence, and my self-love. I feel a part of a queer community for maybe the first time, like I belonged. Wow. Wow. And it's th- that's what they feel like often. <sighs> it's magic. Wow. Yeah. It's like such a tender space that part of why I continue to offer the groups, we have a lot of people for the, the ones that I lead who are interested in the group. And so there's there's a need there and we want to fill the need. But I think the bigger piece of it is it just feels like such a gift to be in these spaces and to witness the connection and witness the growth and the ways that experiences feel normalized and celebrated. And you can see in people that they were carrying something alone and they're no longer having to do that anymore. And it really is such a beautiful experience. Mm, Wow. It's beautiful. It makes me curious, again, for people who aren't sure if they would be a good fit for these groups, which just, it just sounds like everybody could be. This, they sound so special. The work you're doing is so cool. But I guess like if someone's considering therapy or a support group, what factors might they consider to explore whether or not a support group or a group therapy context is what they're needing or could be helpful either in addition to or instead of individual therapy or yeah, what comes to mind there? Yeah. I'll start by saying I'm pro-individual therapy. I'm a client in individual therapy. I'm a therapist in individual therapy. It's wonderful. Yes. Yay, individual therapy. And I think that there are some limitations to individual therapy, particularly when it's a collective experience or when it comes to accessibility. Mm. But some of the things that I think of the most are every therapist has a different comfort level with self-disclosure. So in my own orientation, I share about myself if it's clinically relevant or if I think it's going to serve the relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not a reciprocal relationship in sharing. My therapist Mm -hmm. knows way more about me than I know about her. Just Mm -hmm. like I know far more about the emotional landscape of my clients than they know about mine. And so even though individual therapy can feel affirming and supportive, what really feels different and so amazing about group therapy is having the opportunity to connect with, hear from, and grow with people who are sharing your lived experiences. Mm. And we talked about these different kind of groups, process groups, support groups, skills groups, and they all have their own clinical value. But I would encourage you to think about if your experience is one of feeling isolated or alone, disconnected, insecure, this feeling like maybe you're the only person who must be having this experience, that any type of group therapy might be a place for you to find some of that validation and community. And Another point to reflect on is whether the experience that you're having is a collective experience. So when I say that, I mean like, is it a moment that we're all going through something together? Grief, a pandemic, violence, an identity transition. They can all be really wonderful opportunities for group therapy and support groups that if we're having an experience together, it can be impactful to process together, to support each other together instead of just during an individual session. Mm. And For folks who feel like social experiences are challenging or have been challenging in the past, maybe social anxiety or you get really focused on how other people might perceive you or you're finding it difficult to connect with other people, group spaces can then almost serve as a rehearsal space in a way. It's a, you can find more confidence in yourself in this supported, contained way before taking that practice out into the real world. Yes. And a lot of the things that people bring with them to any type of therapy, confusion, grief, sadness, shame, they're all challenging experiences. And 
they're made so much more profoundly difficult when you feel like you have to navigate them alone. And so mm. whether it's individual therapy or group therapy, just encouraging folks to find whatever support feels like it's the best and most accessible to them right now. Mm. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to talk with you because the group that you specifically run, the folks you specifically are serving are essentially the audience of the show, like queer adults who are in this process of coming into their queerness and exploring their queerness in adulthood after perhaps decades of either denying or resisting or being unconscious to or all these other aspects of experiencing that kind of kept their queerness from being something that was allowed to be integrated and a part of who they are. And I'm curious, you mentioned some of the themes that can come up like grief and different aspects of healing. What other themes do you see come up in the people's experiences that are in your group and and anything else also to name about like the particular kinds of folks who come into your groups. Yeah. I feel really lucky that we get such a broad range of people who are interested in groups and it makes for that much more rich conversations because people are having some elements of shared experiences and also are in different places in their journey. So I might have some folks in group who've been married for 10 years and are now maybe starting to explore their queerness. And there may be some people who have just never dated before and are now starting that process. And so that allows for so much learning and exchange too. And for some people, almost seeing a version of what their journey could look like in the future. Yes, totally. So that's been really lovely. So we do get a really broad range. But I think some of the things for the groups that I lead specifically are people who are really sitting in a lot of shame, whether that's shame about why they haven't come out yet. So there can kind of be this narrative of... Like, why didn't I know myself earlier? Or what does it mean about me? Was I a coward? Some of that shame. There can also be still just internalized queer negativity that people are working through that when you spend 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life absorbing messages that queerness is bad, even if you logically don't think that, it can take a really long time to work through those feelings about yourself and others. So Mm -hmm. people definitely come in with a lot of that. When it comes to grief, I think it's really complex. It can be grief of relationships. So people who are either choosing to leave relationships that no longer feel that they're serving them, whether those romantic relationships, friendships, sometimes even family relationships. It can also be grief about like a queer youth you didn't get to have. So grieving and being angry about and making space for that grief and making space for that anger of feeling so excited that young people now have more space to do that. And then in some ways also feeling envy or jealousy or anger that that wasn't a part of your own experience. So that's something I think people are coming in with a lot. Mm. There's also this sense of just being new at something, like all of what comes with, well, I might be a full adult who now feels in some ways, you know, I think this is exactly what your podcast is about, of in some ways I feel so connected to this young me of Mm -hmm. an adolescent who's doing all of these things new for the first time. And it, especially if you're someone who feels like in other contexts of your life, you're really have your shit together, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That it can feel in some ways disorienting to feel like there's this really, really young part of you that's now taking up so much space. Mm. Listeners can't see me, but I'm just like nodding my head as you're speaking. Everything that I'm hearing is so much about what we talk about on this show within the greater context of of this idea of second adolescence and all the different aspects of healing and, and different experiences that are a part of that. And I'm just, wow, I'm just so struck by 
so often people feel alone in their experience, like they're the only one. And I found through doing this podcast, like so many versions of people kind of raising their hand, like that happened for me, or that's totally my experience as well. And and I'm just hearing like, that's just such a powerful aspect of one of the powerful aspects of your groups is giving people the space to be able to be in like direct community with other people who are navigating similar themes. And also like you're speaking to, there can be people at different points in their journey and how like that connection between the two at different points is also helpful and healing for both parties, I imagine. And oh, I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm so touched to hear all of the beauty that's happening in your groups. And so, so wishing that if I could rewind my own personal clock to 10 years ago, I had access to something like that. I was the person who, if my therapist brought up the idea of seeking out a group, I would be like, hell no, (laughs) hell no, that would be scary. I would, I would have so much resistance and so much shame, so much fear, so much like social anxiety too. And I just am finding myself in this moment, kind of just being curious if I could like go back in time retroactively, like what that could have been like for 25 year old Adam and just feeling really a lot of tenderness there. So thank you for sharing about these groups. Wow. Yeah. And that's what it really feels like. It's, I think tender is such a perfect word for it. Mm. And the experience that I see so many people in my group experiencing, I can relate to a lot. And and what you just shared as well. I remember in exploring my own queerness in my mid twenties, a lot of things that when I look back now, I'm like, that was so much shame, right? Like I didn't feel like I was allowed to use certain language if I didn't have certain experiences, for example, right? Like why well, can't call myself queer unless I've had sex in this particular way with a woman and right. I don't I don't deserve to use that language and I don't deserve mm. to be in these spaces and I can't take up space in this way I see it so much in the people who come to group and then get to see them support each other in this really really beautiful way and so when I think back to what you shared of you or with myself that like that resistance that was there was probably that much more evidence why a group would have been a good fit. Totally. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So again, another plug for a listener, if you're feeling a similar way, perhaps kind of lean into more curiosity about if this could be a good time to explore that. And yeah, I wanted to, another question I wanted to ask you, we kind of answered it was really around, you know, the different types of wounds you see healed within like group context within your groups. And I'm really hearing like so much about healing shame and the different versions of that navigating grief and those two, shame and grief, like big pieces and big wounds that are tended to in the group context. Anything else to name about particular wounding that you see the group offering a lot of healing for? But then also on the flip side, like how you've seen growth and joy and liberation and strength kind of coming out of these groups. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things to see is people start to develop self-compassion. And my own therapist would be so happy to hear me say that. But I think think that that is is one of the most exciting things to witness is Mm. it doesn't mean that after a group, you're going to all of a sudden have no shame and you're all of a sudden going to have no internalized queer negativity. And you're going to feel like you can go into any queer space and feel comfortable. I I wish that was the case. I wish that any therapy was magic in that way. Mm -hmm. But what really seems like the biggest growth point is people just having more compassion for the experience and making space for that experience, whatever it is, and saying, 
you know, today I feel really down on myself and that's okay. Or today I feel like an imposter and that's okay. And maybe I'll feel like that tomorrow and that's okay too, but I'm not going to feel that way forever. Mm -hmm. Or I know who I can go to for support. Or I know that even if I don't feel that way right now, I know that my queerness is enough. And I know that wherever I'm at in my journey is enough. And that compassion that ideally serves in this context, but also in so many others is just letting it be okay to be wherever you're at, even if that feels really shitty in that moment. Absolutely. Well, I imagine there's going to be a good amount of people listening who are perhaps braver than 25-year-old me and are eager to explore finding a group and perhaps even exploring working with a group the expansive group is offering. I mean, you might not know the answer to this. We're recording this in October. It might be it's going to be released later this year, perhaps early next year. Are y'all taking new clients? If so, what's the process for that? Yeah, so we are. I'm running a group, but it actually starts next week. So too late for that one. Yes. But- because of how much I enjoy the experience and because of actually how much demand we've had for this group, yeah. our group is called It's Never Too Late. It runs twice a year. We also have other clinicians who run. So a colleague of mine runs a group that's a similar for folks coming into queerness as adults, but it's for people who are 40 and older. I've had people in my groups who are older than 40, but it's also just another space if you know there's some differences in that lived experience. So we have lots of groups that are available that run pretty consistently. So if you go to the website, also, if you reach out to our intake, it's hello at theexpansivegroup.com that you can ask about our groups. Hopefully soon the website will also have a really easy process where you can inquire about groups, get on wait lists for groups, things like that. But we pretty consistently have uh, groups available for folks who are coming into their queerness as adults. Awesome. Leah, this has just been such a treat. I feel like tender has been a word that come up a lot. I just feel so much tenderness in this energy with you, in this conversation, in the work you're doing. I just feel so touched that you came on to share about all of this and to invite our listeners into kind of exploring, could this be another avenue and container for healing and just feeling great? And and so I just so appreciate the work you're doing and what you offer today. And before we wind down, is there anything we missed? Anything that you feel like you want brought into this conversation? Well, I'll say I, I so appreciate the work you're doing too. And ever since you reached out, your podcast is also a resource that I share with clients in my groups as well and folks who have come back and shared how affirming it's been for them. It's just like another way for folks to hear other experiences and feel affirmed and feel validated. So just also want to put out that appreciation for you and and the work that you consistently do to support and bring queer folks together. Mm, That's very kind. Thank you. So good. Well, I'll be linking to all the things we talked about in the show notes and I absolutely encourage folks to uh, seek out support if that's what they're eager for. And yeah, again, I just so appreciate you for being here. And this was just so lovely. Thank you, Adam. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care. <laughs>